chromosome. Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bro. It's time now for the People's War Radio Show, where we do talk about the main virus. And that is colonialism. the People's War Radio Show, we talk with healthcare workers, activists, revolutionaries, authors, teachers, and regular people from the African community. We aim to bring you an African internationalist analysis on all things important to winning our freedom from colonialism. The root of all our problems. Why I'm poor, the colonial virus keeps me at war, the colonial virus. Colonial virus. Virus. Down with the colonial virus. Uhuru. Welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Dexter M. Lewingo. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. In this episode, we present part one of a two-part series titled The Truth About Afghanistan. Colonialism, the Graveyard of Imperialism. That was the title of a September 7th web broadcast put on by the African People's Socialist Party to discuss the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan and the implications that this defeat has for the liberation struggle of African and other colonized peoples. The broadcast featured presentations by Luwezi Kinshasa, Secretary General of the African Socialist International, Yesterday Oren Mila, President of the African National Women's Organization, Tafari McGarry, Director of Organization for the African Socialist International Africa Region, Omali Eshitela, Chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, and Penny Hess, Chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee. We begin with a presentation delivered by Secretary General Louise Kinshasa. S.G. Louise was born in the Congo and is currently based in London. He's affectionately known as Walimu, which means teacher, for his extensive knowledge and engaged storytelling about the history of the world's peoples. He opens his presentation by addressing the question stumping media pundits and politicians. Why did the U.S.-installed Afghan government fall so quickly? And how was a so-called backwards people able to oust a NATO coalition of the world's most well-armed governments? To answer that, S.G. Luwezi takes us back to the 19th century to understand the roots of the anti-colonial resistance and the national consciousness of the Afghan people. We all have seen the images on television, uh, on the social media. We have seen uh, imperialists, you know, you know, shedding crocodile tears. You know, they couldn't understand why it was so sudden, uh, why it was so, you know, the uh, Afghan government collapsed. They did this lie, you know, because the informed people knew that uh, the Afghan government 
was going to collapse or not uh, last. Although they couldn't say how many weeks, how many months, but they knew they didn't have anything uh, to stand on. And, uh, and also people are also confused because we are told that uh, the Taliban are like backwards, you know, and they want to bring Afghanistan uh, back to Middle Ages, uh, you know, because they're coming to power now, the women in Afghanistan is going to suffer, uh, you know, things like that. But uh, this does not satisfy anyone who has, a, you know, a basic sense of uh, curiosity just to understand why the so-called backward people uh, were able to defeat not just one army, but a coalition, a coalition of the old Western parasitic capitalist armies through NATO, because the U.S. didn't go there alone. The U.S. went there with all its partners in crimes uh, in NATO. So that's something, you know, we cannot uh, ignore. And they spend, as you know, trillions, trillions of dollars. The British spent over $40 billion. The Germany spent billions, the French billions, the, all of them. But they were defeated. Not only were defeated, it was a sounding defeat. And you always saw the chaos on TV and social media. You always saw that. Now, why? That's basically a question everyone wants to, you know, to have answers to. Why the Taliban won? And the Taliban is a person language. It means student. And uh, why did they succeed? And as the title uh, said, uh, that uh, Afghanistan is the graveyards of our imperialist powers. We have to go back to 19th century. You know, the 19th century was a century of African resistance because the biggest event that shook the 19th century was the successful African revolution known as the Haitian Revolution, which in 1804, defeated the French armies uh, defeat, and uh, the British armies and the Spanish army defeated all of them. And this was the African workers because the colonized slaves, they were workers essentially. They defeated the colonizers' armies. And that event itself shook the world. Even today, this event is not really uh, uh, taken to its just value, starting with ourselves, Africans. Because we're trying to understand why the Afghanistan people were able to defeat NATO troops led by the United States. You have to understand Haitian Revolution because it inspired the whole, all oppressed people on the planet. You talk of uh, Venezuela Revolution, the Bolivarian Revolution, as you know, all over the world, oppressed people inspired by Haitian Revolution were willing to fight. And I will not uh, make a, build a war between that spirit of fight with what Afghanistan did in 1839. After explaining the world influence on the Haitian Revolution, in which enslaved African workers defeated Napoleon's army in 1804, Eshi Louise Kinshasa reviewed the Afghan success in defeating British colonial occupation in the 1800s. It's known as... Uh, the three wars of Afghanistan with the British imperialists. 
and that the first war was between 1839 and 18, uh, 1842. Um, that's why I gave the example of the Haitian Revolution because I'm convinced the whole world knew about that event and they inspired a lot of people. So between 1839 and 1842, there was a war between the Afghan people and the British imperialists. And the British imperialist pretext was that the Russian was going to use Afghanistan as a stepping stone to come to India, where the British had, you know, one of the largest colonies since they lost the United States. And that they have to stop the Russians from coming to Afghanistan. And the best way to do it is to replace whoever was there and to put somebody who was more pliable to the British interest. And that led to the war between 1839 and 1842. But the key thing is here, 1842, in January of 1842, the British army was defeated in a very humiliating way. According to the records, only one soldier survived. And uh, some people say the, Af the Afghans allowed that single soldier to leave uh, the death camp, uh, the war zones, so he can bring the bad news to the British troops back in India. And uh, the survivor, when he reached India, they asked him, where is the army? And he said, I am the army. And he was the only one. And 16,000 people dead. So it was really a big event that shook the British and shook everybody. The British went back there uh, a few years later in um, 1878. And uh, between 1878 and 1881, the British sent 40 troops, of course, from India to go there, uh, control Afghanistan. And uh, this ended with uh, a treaty, basically that favored uh, the British colonizers. And it was a third war, and that was in 1919. And we all know 1919 was also the time of the great African movement of Marcus Garvey. It also was at the end of uh, the so-called First World War between imperialists to really divide the world. And the uh, Afghan basically struck the British troops, and uh, it ended up in a new treaty, basically where the British recognized the right of Afghanistan to rule themselves. So from 1919, that's basically uh, the three events that shaped the consciousness of the uh, Afghanistan. So those were the Afghan wars of resistance to direct British colonial rule, beginning in 1839, just 35 years after the inspiration of the successful Haitian Revolution and culminating with the withdrawal of the British from Afghanistan in 1919, events that shaped the fierce, independent, and confident spirit of the Afghan people. Next, S.G. Louise discussed the entry of the United States into Afghan affairs. He mentions the big new Brzezinski, national security advisor to U.S. President Jimmy Carter, who advised the strategy to promote Muslim opposition to the pro-Soviet Afghan government, which ultimately led to the demise of the Soviet Union. He explains how the Afghan ouster of Soviet troops further increased the morale and self-confidence of the Afghan people. And of course, we have more recent events of Afghanistan being in war with uh, foreign outsiders or uh, invaders. That was in 1979, when the Soviet Union decided to go to Afghanistan to support the regime that was in place, that was pro-Soviet uh, Union regime. And as you know, you heard the chairman talking about it many times, that uh, for the United States government, 
under Jimmy Carter, inspired by Brzezinski, that was the opportunity to give the Soviet Union a day Vietnam. That basically was the opportunity the United States used, mobilized support throughout the Muslim world, and particularly from Pakistan, Saudi Arabia. There are even a report that China at that time was not in a good relationship with the Soviet Union, also sent support. So they mobilized Mujahideen, as they used to be known, but they didn't call them Taliban's then, inside Afghanistan and in, throughout the Muslim world to fight the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. And for years, so between in the early 80s, it was really in the mid 80s that uh, this inspired funded uh, movement by the US really began to have the upper hand. They got new weapons like what they call them, some kind of missiles you can put on the shoulders and, uh, and you can fire them on the tanks and uh, helicopters, things like that. That was very, uh, very uh, effective against the Soviet Union. But also the soldiers, the Soviet Union put in Afghanistan, according to the strategy the Soviet Union developed, that they needed to put more Muslim people in the front, front line. So they took so, uh, soldiers from uh, countries like Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, all these countries, ex-countries, these countries were part of the ex-Soviet Union, but they were Muslims. And the Soviets who came from those regions, many of them were reluctant to go to war with fellow Muslims. So there was also a loss of morale in uh, pro-Soviet governments of uh, Afghan, similar to what we have seen recently in the, the war between the Taliban and the U.S., where we began to see loss of morale, uh, soldiers deserting, and uh, an army that used to be strong with 100,000 troops in 1978. Now, by mid-80s, they had less than 40,000 troops. You know, in the meantime, the United States continued to pour in, you know, Mujahideen is the name of a jihad from all over the Muslim world. And, uh, of course, uh, the president of the Soviet Union at one point, Gorbachev, decided to pull the troops out, sign the treaty, with Pakistan and, uh, and uh, all those forces who supported the uh, Mujahideen and uh, withdrew from Afghanistan. And that was in 1989. And of course, after that, you know, the government three years later collapsed, you know. But the key thing is that uh, the Afghan people have experience of Soviet Union. They had experience of the British. The fact that they defeated the British at one point, the fact that they succeeded you know, getting the, the Soviet Union out, and you know the Soviet Union later on collapsed, I'm sure this played a big role in the psychology of the African people. They'd done it against major powers. The UK, the British used to be the leading white power nation of the world at one point, and they were defeated by the African people. And the Soviet Union, who was a superpower in competition with the United States, was also pushed out. I mean, this is a major psychological booster uh, for the people of uh, Afghanistan. And uh, I'm sure this played a role in uh, the uh, self-belief of the people of Afghanistan today. African Socialist International Secretary General Louisi then went into the real motivations behind the just-ended 20-year U.S. military occupation of Afghanistan in terms of its mineral riches and geopolitical significance to Western colonial domination of the world. Talking to what happened uh, in the last, well, let's say, 15 years 
or last 20 years of uh, United States occupation of Afghanistan that led to the defeat that all of, all of us witnessed two weeks ago. We all heard the propaganda. You all heard what they said about Taliban, the, the United States government, uh, the NATO troops. They were going there to bring democracy, to save the women. You heard all this nonsense uh, every day. But what they don't tell you, every imperialist war is a war about resources and geostrategic objective. Every single war is to maintain white power domination, basically to maintain colonialism, the foundation of this modern economy that I refer to as capitalism. So that's really critical. So you need to know that Afghanistan, you can Google that yourself, you can see Afghanistan is, in terms of mineral, is a rich place. When you hear about rocky country, you know, usually there are minerals uh, associated with that. So they are rich in uranium. You know, uranium is a key mineral to produce uh, nuclear energy and make nuclear weapons. They have copper. You know, copper is a key element for electric to carry, to conduct electricity. It's in your radio, in your cell phone, it's in your house. It's everywhere, you know, pipeline to conduct water. Things like that. They have rare earth. China has a monopoly in terms of rare earth, and that's a problem for the United States and for white power in general. And Afghanistan has it. They have got gold, they have zinc, you can name it. They have a lot of minerals. So part of the war is to get control of these resources. But in terms of geostrategic value, apart from the resources they have, you already know the location of Afghanistan. Who are the neighbors of Afghanistan? You have Pakistan, you have China, you have Russia, you have Iran. So just these few names, you hear those names all the time in the news. The United States in a war of uh, influence to control the world with China, with uh, Iran in the region, with Russia, you, every day you, you hear the news, there is something going on between Britain or, or United States or France against three of these countries. So Afghanistan is of great significance. And the defeat of the United States also is of a greater significance. So we need really to be clear on those points. S.G. Louise concluded with some observations about how the Taliban built its capacity throughout the country, even during the U.S. occupation, and how they were able to gain enough support throughout the countryside to rapidly take power from the U.S.-installed Afghan government. People were trying to understand why the, the, uh, the Taliban, uh, why they won. Uh, there are a few reasons. You know, the uh, governments that was overthrown in uh, Afghanistan is a corrupt, well, it was a corrupt, incompetent government. When I say corrupt, it was corrupted. And the people, you know, hated to see all these uh, rich officials coming from nowhere and rich themselves, you know, immensely. They just disliked that. And uh, also the people of Afghanistan, they hate foreign occupation. Africans need to understand this. They hate foreign occupation. And they remember 
that they won against the British, they remembered they won against the Soviet Union, and they remember that the United States government can also be defeated. That was definitely in the brain. And uh, other things we need to know is that they give us these propaganda that Taliban's are backward and things like that. What they didn't tell you, the Taliban have learned from their mistakes. You know, they came to power in the 90s, 92, you know, and uh, you all know they were bombed out of power by the United States uh, after September 11, uh, 2001. You remember that? But they learned from that too. So, one, they are against corruption and uh, they took action against corrupted officials. Whenever opportunities arise, they did take it. They did apply Sharia, Sharia law, you know, according to their um, objective, in a way that they won most of the people in Afghanistan that if the Taliban are in power, there will be no corruption, justice will be delivered, and security will be delivered too. And you know the United States, every time they bombed the people of Afghanistan, what they were doing, they were recruiting people from the Taliban. People need to know that. All these civilians killed by the United States and these allies of the nature of troops, they opened up the door for the Taliban to recruit people. And also, they went after the collaborators of the occupiers particularly those who interpreted, those who translated for uh, the United States Army, and also those who work for some of the NGOs. They build their own government, their own institutions. Remember, the pro-United States government, the sellout government in Kabul was nowhere in rural areas, outside of cities, particularly the city of Kabul, maybe Kandahar, you could not see them. And the Taliban were on the ground, were in rural areas, providing whatever services they have to provide. And they allow the economy to operate. They collect taxes and things like that. And they did more, or they did, you know, Afghanistan, you have, you know, they tell us they are troubled people, troubled people. But what they didn't say through, through the Pashtun are like 40%, something like that. Then you have the Uzbek, the Tajikistan, and the others. What the Taliban did, they extended their uh, organization, their government, their institution to other non-Pashtun people. So they build alliances through ethnics or, or tribe. And uh, they were successful in doing that. Not only they were successful in doing that, they consolidated their power base in the south and the east of Afghanistan. That's where the United States and there are all these invaders concentrated bombing, things like that. But why they were doing that, they opened new fronts in the north, other parts of the countries where they were not expected to succeed. And they did that. They were bold. They were not afraid to engage in a direct confrontation with the occupiers. And the occupiers were scared to leave their comfortable, fortified, bunkers and uh, they build also an institution what you call a network of intelligence so the people knew about the movement of the uh, nato troops so the taliban 
they had a good network of intelligence and things like that. That was African Socialist International Secretary General Louise Kinshasa speaking during a September 7th internet forum titled The Truth About Afghanistan, Colonialism, the Graveyard of Imperialism. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. This is part one of a special two-part series on the defeat of the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan and the implications that this has for the liberation struggle of African and other colonized peoples. Next up was Penny Hess, chairperson of the African People's Solidarity Committee, the organization of white people formed and led by the African People's Socialist Party and given the strategic responsibility to go behind enemy lines into the white colonizer population to win other white people to a stance of genuine solidarity with the liberation of African people and the worldwide anti-colonial revolution to liberate all oppressed and colonized peoples and to win reparations to African people. Hess gave a recap of the CIA's role in the creation of modern so-called Islamic fundamentalist forces under U.S. President Jimmy Carter to draw in and defeat the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. She critiques the failure of the white peace movement to mount effective opposition to the U.S. invasion and occupation of Afghanistan and credits the African People's Socialist Party for its stance in active solidarity with the right of colonized people to resist colonial war and occupation. First of all, I want to express my unity with the profound presentation by the Secretary General of the African People's Socialist Party, Louise Kinshasa, and just just how brilliant that was, an African internationalist presentation that showed how the colonized of the earth can defeat the largest imperialist armies and powers on this planet. And that the struggle of African people is winning. All of the understandings in this presentation come from Chairman Omalia Shetela and the science that he has brought to the African revolution, to parasitic capitalism, to um, and to the world revolution today. So this is about the truth about Afghanistan and colonialism, the graveyard of imperialism. When we say victory to the people of Afghanistan, they have won, as Secretary General Owasi just said, they kicked the ass of the U.S. That was a resounding victory on the part of the people, a resounding defeat on the part of U.S. imperialism. And we salute Chairman Omalia Shetela, the African People's Socialist Party. Chairman Omalia Shetela has led the struggle to turn the world right side up and through science has shown that imperialism was built on the assault on Africa, on the enslavement of African people, stealing the resources and land of indigenous people and oppressed and colonized peoples around the world. That's what's given white people the ability to have um, prosperity, to have a future, and to sit on the pedestal of the oppression of, uh, of African people and everybody else on this planet as the colonizer. U.S. imperialism is in crisis, as the chairman shows us every day and again, suffered total defeat in Afghanistan. Um, just in, in the last week or so. 
The U.S. invasion and slaughter of the Afghan people began on October 7th, 2001, and, and as people know, it has been 20 years. The U.S. spent $300 million a day, every day, for over 20 years, a total of $2.3 trillion. Over 150,000 Afghan people were killed by the U.S. war and drones. U.S. war is the counterinsurgency against the people of Afghanistan and just a family of 10 killed by U.S. drones last week. It's not over. The assault on, on uh, Afghan people continues. The white anti-war movement back in 2001 did not take a stand against the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. They united with it and they still do. But the chairman, Chairman Omalia Shatella, after the September 11th, which, which we're seeing an incredible flooded about even September 11th and the invasion and the whole um, U.S. war against the people of Iraq, the chairman immediately, I think it was on September 12th, 2001, formed the Florida Alliance for Peace and Social Justice. It was the only African-led peace movement in, uh, in the United States, and it, and it bridged the entire state of Florida. They had a demonstration, the chairman led a demonstration of the Florida Alliance at MacDill Air Force Base. I believe that was in October 2001, right after the invasion. It was very powerful. A lot of people came out under the leadership of the courageous stand of of the African People's Socialist Party and Chairman Omali Shetelan. Overall, 36 million people protested worldwide against the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan, but very little, very little response inside the U.S. except for the Florida Alliance for Peace and Social Justice. The party was the only anti-war force that tied the U.S. war against the people of Afghanistan to the U.S. war against African people that goes on every day, the counterinsurgency against African people in the form of U.S.-imposed drugs and mass imprisonment and the police murders that we see along with or in subsequent to the destruction, the defeat of the African revolution of the 1960s. Afghanistan was known as the graveyard of empires. U.S. counterinsurgency as part of Afghan uh, occupation of, of Afghanistan created torture prisons, secret prisons, uh, where uh, hideous crimes against the people were, were you know, went on every single day. In the 1970s, Afghanistan women had full rights under the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan. The Afghan government was supported or had a relationship with the Soviet Union. The US took it on under Carter, under and funded and trade, trained what was called the Mujahideen, the Islamic fundamentalists, quote unquote, in what was called Operation Cyclone, a CIA operation under President Carter. The US goal was to draw Soviet Union into a war it could not win, and indeed it could not. By 1991, the Soviet Union had collapsed and Islamic forces were in power in Afghanistan, the Taliban. The Taliban eradicated opium production. U.S. and neo-colonialists work with the drug traffickers. 
the U.S. is the real drug dealer, as is known and has been put out by the African People's Socialist Party since the U.S. first imposed crack cocaine uh, into the African communities in the 1980s, something that was exposed in the Iran-Contra hearings, but something that the African People's Socialist Party had put out from, from day one. The Politics of Heroin, a book uh, by Alfred McCoy, stated that U.S. CIA covert warfare in Afghanistan expanded the Southern Asia drug trade, the drug trafficking led by the U.S., the chemical warfare against African communities inside the U.S. was tied to, um, to what the U.S. Uh, is doing anywhere around the world, controlling the drug trade, the rise of heroin addiction in the 1980s in the African communities. And, and as we know, the uh, imposition, as we said, of, of cocaine, crack cocaine into the African communities when the U.S., was fighting an illegal war against the successful victory of the Nicaraguan people in um, and the FSLN. It was fighting a counterinsurgency against them and using using drugs to you know to finance that. As the chairman has analyzed, and I think that it's really important to understand that the collapse of the Soviet Union left a political and ideological vacuum. So when we saw struggles for national liberation throughout the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s in the US when we saw the victory of Vietnam and we saw um, oppressed and colonized peoples organizing under democratic centralism scientifically for a socialist revolution and victory against imperialism, uh, much of that was gone with the defeat and the counterinsurgency against the Soviet Union and it left an ideological vacuum that is that is filled in some ways by religion as the chairman has laid out today. So the, the work of the African People's Socialist Party is to build the African Socialist International to bring down colonial capitalism once and for all, to raise up the leadership of the African working class and the ability of all oppressed and colonized peoples to have the return of their stolen lands, their stolen resources, and the ability to govern a world in which there will be no colonizer or colonized or oppressor or the oppressed. Victory to the people of Afghanistan, victory to African people, Uhuru and unity through reparations. And that was Penny Hess, chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, formed and led by the African People's Socialist Party to organize solidarity and reparations from the white community for the African anti-colonial struggle. She was speaking during a September 7th internet forum titled, The Truth About Afghanistan, Colonialism, The Graveyard of Imperialism. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. This is part one of a two-part series on the defeat of the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan and the implications that this has for the liberation struggle for African people and other colonized peoples. Next up, we will hear from President Yejide Oranmila of the African National Women's Organization, or ANWL. In her talk, President Yejide reaffirms her complete solidarity with Afghan women. President Yejide dispels international propaganda that suggests that the imperialist invasion of Afghanistan was done to liberate Afghan women. She notes that the largest abusers of women's rights in the region are U.S. allies 
and that the U.S. remains silent on French government abuses against Muslim women in France, as well as the oppressive anti-abortion laws in Texas. President Yedjede notes that U.S. intervention stopped the progress of Afghan women and noted the anti-imperialist organization that existed amongst Afghan women before the U.S. instigated war with the Soviet Union. President Yedjede views this victory as a victory for Afghan self-determination and the future of Afghan women. I first want to say that um, as any as a colonized African woman, I recognize the significance of Afghanistani, uh, sorry, Afghan women uh, uh, struggling for their independence and uh, within the context of um, you know fighting against U.S. imperialism. And you know we've we've been, we've been seeing a lot in the news. Bourgeois media has been saying how they're so concerned about Afghan women and the human rights violations and all these things that uh, serve as the momentum or impetus for U.S. intervention in the country. But we should definitely be clear that the United States did not go into Afghanistan to protect Afghan women. Uh, as, Secretary, as Secretary General Louise has pointed out, the U.S. Um, and other foreign powers' interest in Afghanistan is always for resources and uh, labor. It's always about occupying for those minerals that uh, a particular country holds and its position, obviously, in that in that area. So we know that um, for a clear fact that the the question of Afghan women and purporting to uh, hold up their rights and to uh, make sure that there's democracy uh, amongst the land is nothing uh, but, you know, a malarkey, <laughs> this bourgeois malarkey that has no basis in the reality of the Afghan people and their struggle to defeat um, U.S. occupation in their country. And we also should recognize how, you know, as a colonized person in Afghanistan, also being a place that has colonized, oppressed Afghan people, that colonialism is not um, uh, there to, um, colonialism regresses. It doesn't allow for people to, their self-determination because it's there to benefit the colonizer, which is to, you know, exploit the people, exploit the population and to get out of it what it needs. It's not there again to serve the population. It's there to only benefit the colonizer and its objectives. So what it does is that it traps the people that is colonizing in this um, circle of life that only revolves around the needs of the colonizer. Therefore, any progress that have been that would have been intrinsic in that society stops automatically because now they are serving the interests of the U.S. colonizer. So that's why when uh, Comrade Lawazi pointed out that um, the people before the end of U.S. occupation in the country, I think it's really critical to really recognize that because the U.S. did not bring justice and democracy. That was already there in the country. People already demanded that before U.S. intervention, before the Taliban, and have been on that trajectory until the U.S. intervened and caused the um, the, the the conflict which resulted in, you know, a hyper um you know, Islamist state that they armed and trained for the purposes of defeating uh, Russia. And now they had to contend with that, but that has caused the country to continue to be in this cycle of colonialism and neocolonialism, uh, which uh, right now people are concerned about the, the, the conditions of women, but obviously the US was not concerned about the conditions of women when it was dropping bombs uh, on neighborhoods and killing entire families and 
um, shooting down women and children in the streets because they uh, feared, because they claimed that there was some sort of terrorist outbreak in a particular area. Uh, the U.S. was not concerned about the conditions of women and children and the human rights violations and, and all of these things that they claim to be concerned about now that they have been defeated by the Afghanistan um, uh, people. Uh, I also wanted just to point out that with that point that, that uh, fighting colonialism and colonialism itself is not a nonviolent uh, competition. Like it requires violence in the people who have been fighting um, the colonial advances of the United States and the other foreign powers in that area have had to wage a serious and bloody war. And that includes Afghan women who had no desire to be oppressed and exploited by a foreign entity like the United States, uh, but also have no desire to be oppressed at all. And so the developments that had been um, in place and happening with, with between 1965 and 1990 with uh, African women, sorry, Afghan women's groups in Afghanistan um, can continue to push forward because now the people have uh, more power over their lives in the country. And so, you know, as a revolutionary African woman that is opposed to colonialism, we, we say victory to Afghanistan and victory to Afghan people and victory to Afghan women who have now, who are now able to um, to push forward the, the developments that need to happen uh, to free themselves from any type of oppression that um, that uh, that holds them in a place of regression. I, I really appreciate Comrade Penny pointing out, you know, the question of Afghan women in 1970s and um, them being able to they have full rights and things like that. Um, I just think that it's really important because um, one thing that I saw was that. Um, Afghan, like the people like to say that the, the Afghanistan was a puppet of, um, of Russia, but the reality is that the Afghanistan communists were actually in power longer than the, the USSR, um, the Russian uh, alliance. And so, um, you know, they were more, more for um, Marxist ideology and for the question of uh, forwarding um, equality and socialism and justice within the land um, and held that strong until obviously the U.S. intervened, um, uh, inciting uh, nationalists, sorry, inciting um, the opposition to the Russia and henceforth, you know, creating the, the war that we currently see. And in that construct, there was an organization of, of Afghan women who were anti-imperialist, who were in the streets fighting against any injustices that were happening uh, to, to Afghan women and were um, moving forward uh, uh, policies that were, um, you know, broadening society and including Afri Afghan women uh, in society in a, in a positive way and in politics as well. And again, all of that was undone by the U.S. intervention in the country. I think it's really also important to identify how um, the U.S. Uh, claims to be like this bastion of freedom, um, yet um, uh, it has strongest strongest allies in that region are places that have oppressed the women in those populations, much like what they said they are concerned about. So the allies in Saudi Arabia and Qatar and United Arab Emirates actually are the top three places in the world where women have uh, no, no, no rights and requires male guardianship just to do anything 
and that societies. But there is no there's no uh, propaganda around those countries because they're in the interest of U.S. imperialism. They are they are being funded by and or uh, armed by the United States, and the United States is getting something from them in terms of security and its interest in that region. So. Again, just to reiterate the fact that the United States have no interest and has no basis for their cries around women's rights, particularly because it doesn't uh, benefit them. And actually, women in Afghanistan have been used as the as the rallying cry for white bourgeois women who are have been empowered to go enter into Afghanistan and continue to stay in Afghanistan. And now Afghan women are being used as a as a as a way to say that we have to keep U.S. imperialism. In Afghanistan, if I was an Afghan woman, I'm actually I'm a colonized African woman, and if my situation had been is being used to justify U.S. imperialism to and to oppress my population and my gender is being used as a way to do that, I would be high. You know, I am highly. I would be highly. Um, you know, repulsed by that. And I just think that this is an opportunity for Afghanistan, Afghan women, and, and any other colonized. Uh, woman to stand up against these these claims that the United States brought democracy and peace when in fact they brought terror and continue to um, uh, uh, create unrest in that in that region. U.S. is not saying anything about you know the oppression of Muslim women in France where there's these highly oppressive laws that ban the way that uh, Muslim women uh, dress, uh, covering their faces and things like that. Uh, but uh, and then there's no mention uh, of the human rights violations that are happening right here in the United States, where uh, the United States uh, state of Texas has um, has basically said that if uh, a woman decides that she wants to have an abortion, that she will be penalized with uh, with jail time. So there are a lot of things that uh, are happening in the world that the United States justify if they were concerned about human rights violations and, and women's rights violations, that they can really just pick it out out of the lot of things that they have been involved in. Um, but uh, but that's not what U.S. imperialism does. The U.S. imperialism uses the, the 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 situation that they that they cause as a result of colonialism to um, sorry, if they cause as colonizers uh, to further its own interests, not the interest of Afghan women, not the interest of democracy, not the interest of any of that other stuff, but the interest of the United States and what it needs uh, to control um, uh, and dominate the world and the world and the world's people. So, um, so as you know, I just wanted to to say that you know as at the African National Women's Organization stands in complete unity with Afghan women and their, and their struggle, their fight to be free of all oppression. And we stand in complete solidarity with the Afghan people against the onslaught of US imperialism and any other type of occupation that would rob them of self-determination. And we are um, you know, really excited about the future of Afghanistan and of Afghan people and are really looking forward to the developments of Afghan women and you know, when, when they are left to their own devices to deal with um, you know, the contradictions within that society because they, some of them still exist. And so, um, so we have to resist. We have to resist as colonized women. We have to resist any, uh, any uh, propaganda that says that, um, that US imperialism and occupation should happen 
continue to happen on our behalf. We have to fight against any of these um, uh, these messages that would uh, allow for our conditions, which um, have been exacerbated and deepened as a result uh, as a result of U.S. imperialism, um, uh, we have to resist any of that, uh, and we have to resist and we have to arm ourselves and arm other people to recognize that you know when those tactics are being used by bourgeois media and by U.S. by bourgeois by um, ruling class and their militaries around. Uh, our our um, our uh, for their own interests and as a way to oppress African, Afghan, and other colonized people as well. So um, I just wanted to contribute that to this conversation. The U.S. is not here for Afghan women and their and their freedom, and just like it's not here for African people and African women or our freedom, just like it's not there for any in any other parts of the world. It's always there for their interests and to rob the people of self determination and to create unrest for his own benefit. That was Yesterday Orrin Miller, president of the African National Women's Organization. She was speaking during a September 7th internet forum titled, The Truth About Afghanistan, Colonialism, The Graveyard of Imperialism. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. This has been part one of a two-part series on the defeat of the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan and the implications that this has for the liberation struggle of African and other colonized peoples. In part two, we'll hear from Director Tafari Mulgari of the African Socialist International African Region and Chairman Amalia Shetela. Our theme song, Colonial Virus, was written and performed by Alikia Ngoma. Thanks to the People's World Radio Show's production, research, and promotions team, including Jaja Robinson, Empress Livewire, and a hip Sependa. So we say down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus. This has been the People's World Radio Show, produced by WVPU Black Power Radio at 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund. The baddest nonprofit on the planet. Whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's World Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. Thank you for listening. Colonial virus, mass incarceration, that's colonial virus.